one pitch, swing and a drive, deep to right field, way up there, way out of here, goodbye baseball. Eight strikeout for the King tonight and make it 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Phoenix. Three called on the outside corner and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. And welcome to Mariners Pod. Gary Hill with you. Thanks for being here once again. Yes, this is going to be a fun one, as you can probably imagine. We have highlights that could probably fill the next 45 minutes to get to. I mean, we have a lot of highlights. A lot of highlights as the Mariners beat the A's and they win another series. I have some great numbers to get to you that I can guarantee that you will like. That will come up. I'm really excited about this podcast. In in a general sense, I'm very proud of the work we do here on the podcast in terms of just a place for passionate Mariner fans to gather and listen and interact and everything else. I'm, I'm very happy with with the work and uh, your interaction and, and everything else. There are some podcasts, though, that I think go even beyond and this one is one of those. This is the 13 to 3 podcast. That's what this is. This is the last night kind of podcast. Here's what we have. We have a ton of highlights and great reaction coming in from last night. We'll get to that in just a minute, which is fantastic. Aaron Goldsmith had a tremendous conversation with the GM of the Mariners, Jerry Depoto. He gives some real good insight on some of the numbers and what they look at. I think it's excellent. That comes up as well. Also, Jason Churchill is going to be here. You know him from prospectinsiders.com and on Twitter. He is going to break down. He wrote a great piece on Martin. He breaks down what he's done so far and what he can continue to be. Martin, of course, banged up last night. We'll talk about that coming up. Doesn't look to be serious. That's a good thing. But uh, Jason will give us his thoughts on Martin. He gives a really good breakdown. And also where the Mariners are at in the division. So that comes up. And also we'll sprinkle in a little Dave Niehaus at the end. So, again, I think this is a really, really good podcast. Thanks for being here. You can follow me at Twitter or, I guess, on Twitter, at Gary Hill Jr., at Mariners Pod as well. The advantage there, you know, the precise moment that the podcast goes up. And you can find the podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, all kinds of places. Tune in. So if you have any more ideas, we're exploring a couple of others too. Send them my way as well, at Gary Hill Jr. So let's get to the ball game last night. It's almost hard to believe that I mean, you got to think hard and think back. The A's actually had a lead in this game. It was one to nothing in the second. Chris Davis who's been a home run machine this month, whacked another one. So Oakland had a one nothing lead. The Mariners, though, they didn't waste much time as they tied the score. Adam Lind, the first of what was a huge, huge night. The 0-1 pitch. Lind with a swing and a fly ball deep to right field. And this ball game is tied. Goodbye baseball. Adam Lynn with his fourth home run of the season. I'm telling you, he was launching balls out of the ballpark in batting practice the last three days. He has just tied the game. It's the Mariners one, the A's one, number four for Lynn. 
So there it was. And then we go to the third, and the Mariners would really break loose. They had a monster, monster third inning. The one downside, Martin, he drove in a run, the go-ahead run, so the Mariners take the lead. But but while swiping second base, uh, hurt himself just a little bit. The 1-0. Uh, checks make a strike as Martin hustles into second base without a throw from vote. He slides in for good measure as Martin has his eighth steal of the season. And Martin looks like he might be just a little hobble as he walks off into shallow center field. Now comes circling back towards second. Yeah, it's a little walk to the back side of the plate. We're taking a look at the replay sliding hard into second base, grabbing his left hamstring. Yeah, so he would leave the game. He'd actually stay in at that point and wouldn't come out to his position. At that point, the Mariners had opened up the lead. The reports after the game, pretty good. We'll hear from Scott Service in just a moment talking about it. But in the third, the big blow would come from Adam Lind again. The 1-1. Swing a high lift. Right field. And this is gone by a tongue. Two at-bats, two home runs from Adam Lind. He's driven in four with two swings. And he's blown it wide open in the bottom of the third inning. You can make it seven to one, Mariners. Open it up at that point. I listen. I recommend going back and listening to that crack of the bat. That was serious. That was a serious crack of the bat by Adam Lind. The A's would score a couple runs in the fifth. Adam Lind would pick up a base hit to drive in a run in the fifth. So the Mariners still adding on. And then the seventh inning, the Mariners explode again as Nelson Cruz absolutely demolishes a ball. The next pitch. Swing and a shot up to left field. Does it have the second down? Above the scoreboard in left field. Cruz absolutely murders the pitch coming in from Andrew Triggs. It is long gone, no longer in existence. It is 10 to 3, Mariners. Yeah, that looked like he had second deck written all over. It just felt a little bit short, but blasted. And the Mariners weren't done. Adam Lind, what do you know? The 0 1. Swing and a shot, right center field. Billy Burns looking up, and it's off the wall. Seager coming around to score from second. Lind is at second base with an RBI double. He has driven in now six runs, and never have we been more disappointed for an RBI wall (laughs) ball double. It's 11-3 Mariners. Adam Lind, four for four, two home runs, six RBIs, three runs scored, a monster, monster game in the offensive show, capped by Robinson Cano. The 2-1, swing and a well-hit ball, deep to right field. This one is gone. Goodbye, baseball. It just misses the hit it here cafe way back into the lower deck down the right field side. Robbie Cano with his 14th home run of the season. Holy cannoli, and the Mariners now lead it 13-3 over the A's. And because I love to read this, the pace numbers for Robinson Cano, he is on pace for a 295 batting average to go along with 46 doubles, 49 home runs, and 151 RBIs. <laughs> As the Mariners beat the A's 13-3, to 
the Mariners have taken another series. In fact, let me read you just a few things that I think you'll enjoy. The Mariners have won 10 of their past 12 series. They have the fourth best record in Major League Baseball. The Cubs, 31 and 14. The Red Sox, 29 and 17. The Giants, 30 and 19. And the Mariners at 28 and 18. Mariners have the third best run differential in Major League Baseball. They've scored the second most runs in the American League, and they have the best ERA in the American League. There you go. That's what's happening with the Seattle Mariners right now. After the game, Scott Service, the skipper, talked about what was a fantastic win for the M's and another series win. A little less drama in this one. Yeah, no, good, good ball game. Really uh, outstanding night for our offense. Uh, great to see, and, and certainly uh, great to see Adam Lind uh, have that kind of night. He's capable of that, and, and uh, he's capable of you know, carrying a club uh, for for a few weeks. He's got that kind of offensive ability. It was great to see. He needed one of those nights, and uh, you know, good for him. So that's the type of streaky you've been talking about. <laughs> uh, that's pretty good there. Uh, he got some pitches in his own, and and I uh, didn't miss. Him tonight and you know good for him I, I thought offensively tonight you know we were on top of our game and had the big six run inning uh, just kind of kept the line moving and you know kept pressure on them all night who's that Lynn you said yeah yeah no doubt and he's hit some balls hard you know that have not fallen in you know that have, have gotten caught and you know it's just the last probably eight to ten games, he, he's not chasing as much. He's seeing the ball better. Um, he's getting better pitches to hit, and, and uh, usually that, that leads to good results. So um, really, really happy for him. A little bit of a damper on the evening, though, seeing Leon's grabbing his hand, thing like that. What's kind of the status? Yeah, you know, he's going to have it checked out uh, tomorrow morning. I don't think it's anything too serious, but, you know, we want to be cautious. It still is relatively early in the year. Um, he, it's, it's tough when he's playing as well as he is. I mean, he's really, uh, you know, sparked us here, uh, you know, from the leadoff spot and, and how he's swinging the bat. So uh, it's a little discouraging, but I don't think it's anything too serious. Um, get it looked at tomorrow. We'll have a better idea, um, you know, later in the day tomorrow. What well, was the? You know, he just said it was just a little cramp or whatever. Uh, but it was obviously he wanted to stay in the game. But you could you could see it wasn't good when he got in the rundown just to just to get him out of there. Uh, but it certainly you know it happened on the stolen base. Um, you know, stuff happens. You know, there's no way to really guard against it. Um, you know, you got high, high strung, uh, really you know good athletes, quick twitch guys like that. That that can happen. Was that on the slide or was it in the run? I think it was he's running when he was running to second on the stolen base. So there it was, talking about Martin, and we'll talk about Martin in a couple minutes here with Jason Churchill. So the Mariners, 13 runs on 17 hits as they pound the Oakland A's to take the series. Adam Lynn, the big, big night, four for four, six ribbies, a couple of long balls. Here's what he had to say after the game. Yeah, it was a good game. I think it was uh, good for everybody. Um, a lot of smiles. Enjoy the, enjoy the day tomorrow. And uh, come back Friday. Is this Adam? something you feel that you've been building up to or the work that you've been doing <laughs> that you've been Yeah, you can, that's one way to put it. Um, definitely been building to something. And, uh, you know, it was just a good night. Along those lines, I mean, has the swing felt good? Have you liked what you've seen? Yeah, there's been uh, incremental improvements throughout you know probably the last two to three weeks and uh tonight you know it, it all worked out 
How much did you even see this guy? I mean, did you even have much of a report on this guy? Um, not really. Um, just video. I mean, I think he threw in Boston, so we watched that. Um, no, Malley got a hit against him in AAA, and we had that on video. That <laughs> <laughs> helped a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> So there was Adam Lynn, who had a monster night, and you can start to envision, you know, he's been elite, really, against right-handed pitching, and you start to envision what this lineup can look like already with Cano, Cruz, and Seager smoldering in the middle of the order. It can make the middle, lengthen the middle, and make the Seattle Mariners that much more difficult to pitch against right now. So the Mariners, a big win. Now an off day tonight, and then they'll take on the – Minnesota Twins starting on Friday with Felix Hernandez on the hill. We're going to preview that matchup in depth coming up on the podcast tomorrow. I will give you a quick preview, so just just to let this dance in your head a little bit. Felix Hernandez, his last six starts against the Minnesota Twins, a 0.88 ERA, 48 strikeouts in 51 innings and seven walks, five earned runs. And his last six starts against Minnesota. So just let that dance in your heads a little bit as the Mariners will enjoy the off day and take on the Twins starting this weekend. Again, we'll preview that on the podcast tomorrow. So the Mariners win 13-3. to Aaron Goldsmith before the game. Great conversation with Mariners general manager Jerry Depoto. And here it is. Here's Aaron Goldsmith. We are inside the general manager's office here at Safeco Field, joined by Jerry Depoto. And Jerry, last night, a phenomenal moment, a season-defining moment in many ways for the Mariners. Leonis Martin, the walk-off home run with two outs and two strikes against him. First, I think the fans would be very interested to know, as the general manager of a Major League Baseball team, when your team does that and a guy that you went out over the offseason and acquired, what is your, your physical, your emotional, your verbal reaction when you see that happen? Uh, like a lot of fans, screaming at the top of my lungs, fists pumping in the air and jumping up and down, I, high-fiving my wife and, <laughs> and uh, really smiling along with everybody else. Th- those nights are magical and, you, you know, ride. you're at the top of the wave. Ride it while you can. When we look at the numbers this year from Leonis Martin, obviously a difficult month of April. He has rebounded and more in this month of May. He's been a fantastic player for your ball club. And really, if you look at wins above replacement, which I know is a statistic that you and everyone who works along your side uh, reference, uh, he's at about a 1-7 and a top 30 guy in baseball, a top 20 about in the American League. How much emphasis do you as an organization put on wins above replacement? Uh, pretty strong emphasis. Yeah, I think it, it's a statistic that embodies all the different elements that go into being a, a positive player the the offense the defense the base running and you know every club or or each site you go to has a slightly different variation or or, uh, I guess equation how they draw their war Uh, we have our own and we also use some of the the main sites you know fan graphs or baseball reference and and in any of them right now Leonis is coming out you know smelling like a rose he's played (laughs) great and and uh, he was he was a positive contributor and one of our top players by by the war metric prior to you know what has been really a 10-day offensive outburst he was hitting 215 but he was maintaining he was drawing a walk rate he was hitting the occasional homer he was maintaining an above league average OPS by doing the things that he did 
all of which for us are a bonus because the, you know what really makes the biggest difference for us is is what Leonis does defensively and, and how small he can make center field look when he's doing his thing and right now the, the complete player that he's really blossomed into he's just 28 years old and and uh, Leonis is extremely athletic has that the crazy bat speed he's a high energy player and there's not a single person in that dugout or clubhouse that doesn't root for him you bring up the defensive metrics that go into wins above replacement and it seems like in today's analytical age the defensive side of things can be the one that is most difficult to judge whether it's uh, a zone rating, even defensive runs saved, or in this case, the formula that goes into wins above replacement. How is it that in your own formula, the Mariners use, how is it that you go about judging the defensive metrics, especially those that go into the formula for wins above replacement? Uh, you try to use it just as a wider lens than, than you might. You know, you're not really looking under a microscope when you're measuring defensive uh, metrics, largely because sample size means something. And over the last two, three years, especially since Statcast has become a more widely used and available, uh, I suppose, option for us in baseball, that is probably as accurate as anything you're going to get. It, it's a, it, it's kind of measuring down to you know the 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 second or, or the millisecond when these guys are getting their jumps, the the route efficiency that they're traveling, the way the arm impacts the game. And and part of the reason we went out and we, we cited Leonis as a target in the offseason was some of those things. He can really shrink the gaps. Uh, his, his arm makes a huge difference. And this year among outfielders, among center fielders in this league, in the American League, he's been among the top two or three, uh, never worse than top five in baseball all year long. And, and and some of that is is just a carryover. He has always been a strong defensive player. And what we've seen in his career is the, you know, kind of the fits and starts offensively. And I think whether it's it's what his teammates have done in supporting him, it's the, the adjustments he's made working with Edgar and the coaches, you know, to just knowing that here in this environment, we embrace him. You know, we embrace him for who he is and we want to let him uh, we want to let him be who he is. And right now we're, we're seeing that that's a pretty good thing. <laughs> Can you take us inside kind of the, the back end of StatCast? Because on TV, we see it pop up on our screen. They have the great sound effects for it. They make it sound so so digital, mechanical, and so easy to digest. But in reality, it seems like StatCast is something that, from a data standpoint, and that is an enormous uh, piece of data to try to decipher and interpret, even if it's just one pitch. Can you tell us the manpower that kind of goes into, from the Mariner standpoint, to try to uh, understand and comprehend the StatCast data for just say a pitch in a game. You know, we have three people that, uh, at least two of whom, that is a full-time job for them is, is deep diving into the StatCast data. And and uh, Jesse Smith, who runs our analytics department, is is ultimately in charge of discerning the information and and kind of putting it back together again. One of the things we have to, to maintain with StatCast or, or remember with StatCast is it's an individual event, and you know, we, we do have to keep a bigger picture in mind. But what it can do, especially with the super athletic players or on the defensive end, is it can lead you, if you just pull on that fish line, it can lead you to the right players, the, the guys who can make a difference in those moments. And, you know, we've, we've combined the StatCast data, the, the what I think is just the, the eye of the beholder value of, of the evaluation of a defensive player and then combined it with, combined it with our own advanced information and uh, from the analytics department and how to shift defensively. And I think right now we're turning that into a positive and you wouldn't be able to do that if not for the individual player movements, which are easiest to measure on StatCast. And finally, Jerry, how is it that you're able to find just simply the time in 24 hours when you're using StatCast and other 
uh, analytical sources to measure your own team. I'd have to imagine measure the team you're playing right now, the team that you will be seeing in the upcoming series, and then also uh, trying to keep an eye on other players for whether it be the trade deadline, a free agent market. I mean, it, it seems like this is something that at, at any given time, the Mariners could be looking at any type of advanced data on any almost hundreds of players at one time. Is that is that fair to assume? I think it's fair to assume, but just like anybody else, you, you love what you do. We're, we're invested in it every day. Uh, we have we have two people that work full-time in, in preparing our advanced information. They work in the clubhouse and directly with Scott and the staff. They're essentially an extension of our coaching staff. They're carving through video, through StatCast data, through the metrics that our analytics department send down to them, and, and then working with the, the coaching staff on how to put that back together. We've got individual departments, whether it's pro scouting, uh, our advanced scouting teams, our, our international or, or amateur scouting teams, and each one of them is kind of their own entity and you know my job in the whole thing is just to make sure that from 10,000 feet we're we're working smart and that we're putting ourselves in the best position to make good decisions when the time comes Jerry your time and your insights are really appreciated thank you so much my pleasure always fun I think some really great insight on the numbers there and for more great insight here's a conversation with the great Jason Churchill Well, here we go. This is going to be a fun conversation as we get a chance to visit with Jason Churchill. You know him on Twitter, at Prospect Insider. You can see him online, prospectinsider.com. Also, the Churchill Sandmeyer podcast, which is excellent. I talk a lot of Mariners baseball there. And, Jason, boy, this couldn't have worked out timing-wise more perfectly. You had a great piece about Martin and then, of course, the dramatics last night. But he has been sensational for the Mariners. What have you seen from Martin? It's obviously a number of things. And you hear about him using the the heavier bat, Nelson Cruz's bat. He's obviously got a relationship with Robinson Cano, which always helps when a guy up there has been through, I mean, what's Cano, 33 now? He's been in the league 11, 12 years, and he's done what he's done. That always helps, too. Edgar Martinez might be the, the the biggest factor here because he's a guy that recognizes the mechanics that work and mechanics that don't. And, and that's been the, you know, kind of the downside to, to Martin ever since he signed on with the Rangers, at, you know, out of Cuba to come over and, and play in the States. It's been his swing. It's a little long. And, and you know, just to get specific for a second, it, it, when, when you start your hands low and you need to trigger and get a little power out of it, you got to move your hands around a little bit as the pitch is coming to the plate, and that's just going to put you behind the baseball. So it, he was kind of fighting, you know, a hunger swing and, and some mechanical issues there from the start. And, and it's kind of amazing how quickly this has come about. I mean, he, he's been a Mariner, it seems like, for about five minutes. So it, for Edgar and for, for Martin himself to, to take what they're seeing on, on video and, and take what's happening in, in the batting cages and, and, and what they did during spring training and actually putting it to work on the field. I mean, that's, that's a testament to both of them, especially Martin. It's amazing to look at. He already has surpassed his career high in home runs. He's got the third best OPS for any center fielder. And he's drawing walks as well. The question is, when you look at the numbers and you dive deep, is this sustainable? 
I think a lot of it is sustainable. I don't know that the, the, the power numbers are sustainable. If you just take we're about a quarter way through the season, is Martin going to hit 30, 35 home <laughs> runs? You know, no, I'd be absolutely shocked if he hit anywhere north of, you know, 22, 24, 25 or so. But again, I, I think we're all a little surprised that he's at nine already anyway. Uh, but I do think a, a good portion of it is sustainable because it's mechanical and it's not just randomness. You know, we like to use the word luck sometimes, but it's really just randomness. Maybe a guy runs into some pitchers or, or that throw types of pitches that make certain mistakes with fastballs on the inner portion of the plate and they go on kind of a power binge. Uh, you know, and a guy, even a guy like Martin, who hasn't, you know, hit more than eight home runs until this year in a full season, you know, he might get, you know, two or three cookies, you know, if you will, and, you know, hit two or three home runs off of him, and it kind of boosts his early season power numbers. And, and there's really nothing in what he does or what he's changed with his swing or his, his game plan at the plate to suggest he's going to continue to be able to do that. But with Martin, there are mechanical changes. There are differences with his swing that suggest he's going to hit the ball harder uh, on a, you know, at a higher rate, and he's going to hit the ball in the air a little bit more. And we've seen that all season. You know, I think he's I think he's got four home runs in April and and now the five in May. So that this the power numbers aren't just a matter of the last you know two or three weeks. The batting average and some of the on base percentage is really kind of a hot streak so far. And I think that's going to be the challenge for him going forward. Can he maintain some of the power, enough of the power? to where he can actually use that against pitchers where pitchers have to worry, hey, I can't leave one, you know, middle middle here like Ryan Madsen did yeah. um on Tuesday night. I have to do some other things here and throw some different pitches, maybe throw him a fastball that I normally wouldn't want to throw him. That's going to be the challenge for Martin. But again, we go back to Edgar Martinez. You know, he went through that as a player. Uh, he's kind of witnessed some of the young players coming up through the minors and how they deal with those sorts of things. And to some extent, that gives Edgar a little bit of an advantage. He's got two points of view here that some hitting coaches don't have in that not only was he a good hitter, but you know he was a good hitter who added power a little later in his career, which is kind of what Martin is trying to do a little bit here. And he's seen how some of the young players kind of are taught and, and, and seen some of the wrong ways to do that, some of the right ways to do that. And he's kind of treating Martin and Cattell Marte and some of the other younger players on the team as if they're prospects and they're still developing because – and I think one of the misnomers around baseball is once you get to the big leagues, you're kind of done developing, and that could not be further from the truth. No, uh, I think that's an excellent point. And again, prospectinsider.com, a great breakdown of Martin. And obviously, Martin has been one of the big stories so far this year, and the Mariners, as we just cross over the quarter pole in first place, playing so well. In your mind, what are some of the other biggest keys about why the Mariners are where they are right now? You know, I, I want to give a lot of credit to the field staff because, it, you know, while we're not down there, I'm certainly not down there in the clubhouse to kind of see how they're handling things. But from afar, it really seems like uh, they're kind of letting the Canoes and the Nelson Cruises and the Kyle Seegers of the world kind of show, you know, the rest of the team, some of the, the younger players that don't really know how it works uh, on a winning team, especially. And this is where Cano and Cruz both have experience that, you know, most of the rest of the roster doesn't. You know, this is the way we do things. And when it doesn't work, Work. We'll try to make adjustments, but there's a right way to do things. There's a wrong way to do things, and this is it. But I think the rest of this really comes down to the players just doing what they're supposed to do and kind of, you know, reacting to Cano and Cruz and some of the other leaders on the team the right way. I, I think they built the roster really well. I think Jerry Depoto did a really good job. And maybe one of the more underrated aspects of this, again, that field staff, Scott Service, Tim Bogar, they're kind of hand-in-hand. Hand. They're kind of one guy with two different brains. 
you know, and, and Mel Stoudemire with the bullpen, the way service and Stoudemire have handled that bullpen is remarkable because when you look at this, there's not a lot of, you know, not, not a lot of those arms you came into the season going, boy, you know, he's going to be really good and he's going to have a really good year. I'm not sure if there was anybody that's in that bullpen right now that we assumed that about. Uh, before the season started, and and a lot of those guys are pitching really well. I think Nick Vincent was a great pickup. I just think a lot of the pieces are fitting together, and that field staff and the veterans on this team are just making it easy for them to kind of sustain it and go out there and do their work, and this is just the way we do it. It's like this tunnel vision toward like some sort of a winning way. We hear that with the St. Louis Cardinals quite a bit. I think that's a great point because I always look at roster construction like a puzzle, and obviously the core was here before – Jerry DePoto got here, but you look at the pieces that he's put around now with Martin and Carnes, who we saw last night as well, and Vincent, who's just mentioned, this team really fits together right now, I, I guess is the best way I'd put it. Yeah, they do, and and it kind of seems like more often than not, and I've talked about this in the past, there's overflow, and what I mean by that is when the offense doesn't do their job two or three nights in a row, and they might only score you know, two or three runs, uh, on back-to-back nights or even, you know, four or five runs in a three-night span. The pitching staff, you know, is good enough and consistent enough where, you know, sometimes they're going to throw a shutout or sometimes you're going to win that game two to one. And, and they didn't have that en- enough in the past. Most of that was offensive on the offensive side, and they're certainly scoring runs this year with makes it easier for a, a good pitching staff to kind of support what's going on there. Uh, it, but they have that overflow now, and, and, and something you know, you know that doesn't get talked about a lot, it, it, a lot of this, and, and a lot of this is Leonis Martin, who we were talking about at the outset, bottom of the order and the very, very top of the order producing, and they've been producing all year. And if you compare it to what was going on last year, the differences are so dramatic that it almost looks unsustainable. And so you look at the raw numbers, they're really not all that great. They're just 30, 40 points in all the triple slash categories better than they've been the last couple of years. And again, those middle of the order guys, they just needed that. They just needed that support. And it's not on Seeger and Cruz and Cano to kind of do everything now. And it's more of a nine person lineup. Uh, you know, we'll see Adam Lind, you know, at, at some point, you know, hit the baseball a little bit better than he has. And, and, you know, but Dejo Lee has picked that up. It's just, it's a roster built full of guys that are performing enough to where you get that overflow. You get that extra from the offense when the pitching doesn't perform and you get a little extra from the pitching side when the offense doesn't do their thing. And, and that's both roster construction and the players just doing what they're supposed to do on a daily basis. So now we've seen the division for a quarter of the season. Mariners have been a bit of a surprise. I think the Astros have been a surprise the other way. What is your take on the division right now and where the Mariners fit in? Boy, you know, when the season started, I was on the, the Texas Rangers quite a bit. I think that's a pretty pretty good roster and, and, and a pretty good front office. And they'll identify some needs and, and, and ways to kind of move things around a little bit. It's tough to look at the, the Oakland A's, the, the Los Angeles Angels, or even the Houston Astros right now and believe that they're going to be able to stay in this really maybe even past June. I mean, here we are toward the end of May, and those three teams have just been so inconsistent. I know L.A. is hovering around 500 right now, but with the injuries and the pitching issues that they have, they're really riding Mike Trout, and, and really that's about it You know, at this point offensively. I know Cole Calhoun is a pretty good uh, ancillary player, but – they have some holes. I don't really think this is going to come down to anybody but Texas and Seattle at this point. And, 
you know, really, those are the two best general managers in the division. I, I think Jeff Lunau belongs in that conversation. But the way they've put this team together and the flexibility that remains moving forward for both Seattle and Texas to make certain moves, they get certain guys back healthy. You Darvish coming back for Texas, that'll be absolutely huge. And I'm not sure that's a move that Seattle can match without going out and making a trade. But it, there's so much flexibility there. There's so much more opportunity there for things to get better. And when you look at Seattle, talent-wise, I'm not sure anybody really expected this. But you look at it, and again, Adam Lind hasn't really hit yet. We really haven't seen you know, much impact from even some of these other guys on the roster that don't play a lot. We're going to see Luis Sardinius, I think, uh, get some starts at shortstop here and maybe get into a groove. And, and, and once Cattell Marte comes back, maybe Sardinius will be – better prepared, I guess is the the best phrase, to kind of help when he's called upon that once a week or twice a week when they want to give Seager or Cano or Marte a rest. Some things haven't fallen into place. This isn't kind of one of those situations where, you know, hey, Texas and Seattle have been really lucky and those other three teams have not. This is really, these guys are just getting the job done enough and some of these other teams are not. And, and with Oakland, it's a talent issue. With LA, there's a little bit of a talent issue there. And there's just not a whole lot of room for those teams to make improvements. And Houston's hole, I mean, who thought Houston was going to dig themselves a nine or ten game hole? I think they're nine or nine and a half back entering Wednesday's game. I mean, that's a really talented team, but it's not the type of talent that's St. Louis Cardinals, Los Angeles Dodgers, San Francisco Giants type talent. It's really young talent that's really difficult upon which to rely at this point in the season. No, Jason, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, tremendous breakdown. Again, prospectinsider.com, a great site to visit. Jason is certainly fantastic, and uh, follow him on Twitter. Great follow on Twitter as well, at Prospect Insider. Again, the Churchill and Samire podcast, great one to listen to as well. Jason, thanks for the time. This was fun. Hopefully we can do it again soon. Anytime, Gary. Thank you. August the 24th, 1995, when it all began. The Mariners started the day 11 and a half games behind the California Angels and were beginning a four-game series with the New York Yankees at the Kingdom. It was a Thursday afternoon with not that many, 17,592 in attendance, and the Yankees led 7-6 going into the bottom of the ninth. Yankees closer John Wetland came in to save it for the Bronx Bombers and retired the first two hitters he faced. Remember, two out, so what? Well, this is where it all began. Vince Coleman got it started with a walk. He stole second and third and was driven in by a Joey Cora single to tie it. And then Junior, who had been on the disabled list from May the 27th to August the 15th, almost three months with a fractured wrist, stepped to the plate. There goes Joey. The pitch swung on at Nelson. Deep to right field. The Mariners have done it. Fly away. Junior with a two-run home run. The Mariners win it. Nine to seven. Bye. Oh, bye. He had never hit a bigger one. In fact, it was the first walk-off homer of his career. The Mariners went on to take three of four from the Yankees and then hit the road and just kept on winning. They went on to have a September to remember with 19 electrifying wins and managed to force a one-game playoff of the Angels that catapulted them to their first-ever taste of the postseason and turned Seattle upside down with excitement. We had never experienced anything like it before, but we certainly hope to again. I'm Dave Niehaus. <laughs>